My name is Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and it's great to be with you this morning. We just heard from God's word. Let's go to God and pray. Lord, we have been singing about your worth this morning. Whether we recognize it or not, Lord, all that we have is from you and through you and to you. You are the worthy one. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at John 12, that we would see for ourselves your worth. That you would give us eyes of faith to not merely understand with our minds, but to be able to embrace with our hearts the reality of all that you are, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. History hinges, it hinges like a door turns, it hinges on the death of Jesus Christ. In Revelation, we hear about a book, and it's a book of the Lamb, book of life, of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, before this world existed. It was purposed that Jesus would die. All of the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament point to and anticipate Jesus' coming and Jesus' death. And every eternally good or valuable thing that has happened since Jesus' death has only been possible because of Jesus' death. At the center of human history is the death of the most precious and most valuable person in the universe. His death is what holds history together. And Jesus knew this. From the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus was going forward towards his death. If you remember, Jesus' first miracle that he performed way back in John chapter 2, he's at a wedding feast, and his mother asks him to do something, and Jesus answers her by saying, my hour has not yet come. Later on, he's teaching about the temple of his body, and he says, destroy this temple, and in three days later, I'll raise it again. And then when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3, he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so that people would see and believe. Jesus, for his entire earthly ministry, was moving towards his death. And as we've been working our way through John 11, we've been getting there, taking a step closer, every passage, every verse, every chapter towards the death of Christ. And in our chapter here, Jesus is prepared for his death. John 12 shows us the worth of Jesus, shows us the value of Jesus. Some people see it, other people don't see it. But the reality is that Jesus is more precious and more valuable and worthier than any other person who's ever lived. And it is precisely in Jesus' death that we see his worth. Or to put it another way, we see his worth through his death 
and what Jesus' death accomplished. That's what we're going to be looking at today, is the worth of Christ in the death of Christ. And to see that, we're going to look at three elements of our passage. The first are acts of devotion. Acts or actions of devotion. The second are threats to faith. And the third is the worth of Jesus. So, first element that we see, acts of devotion. Look at John 12, verses 1 through 3. Augustine just read this for us. Let's read it again. Six days before the Passover... Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Jesus had been in a town called Ephraim. Now he's invited to dinner with his friends, the three friends that we met last chapter, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This this narrative that we read here in John 12 occurs in Matthew and the Gospel of Mark as well. And those Gospels tell us that this actually didn't take place in Mary and Martha's house. This took place in the house of someone named Simon the leper. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus seem to be the ones who are putting it on. Or at least it might be a whole village feast for Jesus, recognizing what he's done and honoring him. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are taking the lead in hosting him. And in this chapter we see the three of them active in showing their devotion to Jesus. Active in showing their love for Jesus. And they do this in different ways. The Bible teaches that we are members of one body, but that there are different gifts in the body. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, all of them are going to be showing love and devotion to Jesus in different ways in this passage. Our our text highlights the different ways they're going to. Now the focus is on Mary, to be sure. But let's not miss the fact that Lazarus and Martha also love Jesus. And what they do here shows their love for Jesus. Jesus is well pleased with them because Martha and Lazarus's activities flow from love to him as well. And this is a reminder to us, church, not all of us have the public spotlight gifting that's there. Not all of us have the gifts that are easily recognized or on display And you are not called to serve Jesus with someone else's gifts, though. You are called to serve Jesus, to show your love to Jesus with your gifts. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have particular gifts of the Spirit. And he has given you those gifts so that you can spend your life making much of Jesus out of love for him. And if you do that, even if no one else is seeing or recognizing in a spotlight sort of way... Jesus is well pleased with you, and he delights in you. Love Jesus with your gifts, not someone else's. In our text, Martha is serving the meal. Now, this should not surprise us. And for those of us who are familiar with the Gospels, Martha is usually busy with service. Sometimes she gets so busy that she distracts herself. She's actually rebuked for being busy with service because she's neglecting Jesus while she's doing it in another passage. But that's not this passage. This passage has no words of rebuke for Martha. 
The Bible teaches that giving a disciple a cup of cold water because they are Jesus' disciple as an act of love will be rewarded by God. Martha here is giving a feast to Jesus. Jesus has just raised her brother from the dead. And she is showing her love and devotion to him. And Jesus is well pleased. Martha's love for Jesus overflows in a feast for him. Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. So our culture here actually is a good picture of this, right? We don't, we don't pull up our chair, right? We sit on the floor often when we go and we have Mandy or we go to our neighbor's house, right? Lazarus is sitting and he's reclining on one of those cushions probably with Jesus. And his devotion, I think, is seen in just simply wanting to be with Jesus. I, I love this because I think that Lazarus is intended by John... John wrote the book of Revelation also. Lazarus, I think, is intended to give us a picture of heaven. Lazarus has passed through death. He's come back to life. And how does he want to spend his time? With Jesus. With Jesus. This is a picture, I think, of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lazarus is showing us here what the point of life is fellowship with Jesus forever. Right? Lazarus, the whole point of Lazarus is not the fact that he's come back to life. The whole point of Lazarus is not that he has life itself even. The point of Lazarus's life is to be with Jesus. And this is what we have to look forward to as well. Jesus has said in the last chapter, he is the resurrection and the life. If we trust in him, we will never die. We may temporarily sleep, but we will awake and we will be in the presence of Jesus around the marriage supper of the Lamb, enjoying time with him forever. And that's what we see Lazarus doing here. We get a little taste of the purpose of life, and that is fellowship with Jesus. Both Mary and Lazarus show their devotion to Jesus. Their devotion is real and it's genuine, but the focus of this passage is on Mary. Mary anoints Jesus with expensive ointment. We see that in verse 3. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. This was an imported perfume. And, he anointed the feet, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. A few verses earlier, Jesus was deeply upset by Mary's unbelief. He's grieved. He's upset. And then everything changed for Mary. Lazarus' resurrection changed everything. And in Matthew and Mark's account of this, what we see is that Mary's life is linked with the proclamation of the gospel. Right? Mark says this in Mark 14, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, this is Jesus speaking, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she, Mary, has done will be told in memory of her. We're doing that this morning. The gospel has come to Alain 2,000 years after this event has taken place, and we're talking about Mary. We're talking about Mary and her devotion to Christ being an example of a transformed life. This sermon is a testimony to what Jesus said. This is an extravagant act on Mary's part. She anoints Jesus' feet with precious and expensive ointment. She lets down her hair 
in a room full of men, humbles herself, wiping up the perfume with her hair. Like her savior, Mary takes the form of a servant, going low in order to make much of Christ. And she does so out of devotion to and for the glory of Jesus. Just a few verses earlier, Mary uttered bitter words of pain and unbelief, filled with grief and weeping as those who have no hope. And now she fills an entire house with the aroma of her love for Jesus. What made the difference? How does Mary go from someone who weeps as one who has no hope to someone who takes a year's worth of salary and lavishly pours it out on Jesus? What made the difference was that she saw Jesus for herself. She saw Jesus for herself with faith for who he truly is. Church, Mary is a reminder that we should never give up on people. There are some of you who are walking alongside people who feel very, very far off from the gospel. People who express bitter words of pain and hurt by God, hurt by the church, hurt by people. There are people in our lives who are unreconciled or living sinfully and selfishly. There's people that you've shared the gospel with over and over and over again and have received no sign of repentance or faith. Don't give up. Mary's life reminds us that all it takes is seeing Jesus for yourself once and you will forever be changed. You will forever be changed. You cannot make your friends, your family members, your neighbors, you cannot make them see Jesus for themselves. But you can embody the patience of Christ. You can embody the love of Christ. You can adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with your life, walking alongside them in hope that as they see you, they would see Jesus in you, the hope of glory. Seeing Jesus in his glory and with faith is what enabled Mary to live the way that she does. Previously, she acted like she had no hope. Here she embodies what the psalmist said in our call to worship from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you, Jesus, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't need anything in this world, Jesus, because I have you. That happened for Mary. That can happen to your friends as well. But if Mary is a reminder that we shouldn't give up hope with people, Judas is a warning to us that we can walk with Jesus at an arm's distance and never see him for who he truly is. And this leads to the second element we see in our passage, threats to faith. Threats to faith. Mary's sacrificial devotion is contrasted with Judas's unbelief in verse 4. Listen to verse 4. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, he said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. 
Judas sees Mary's devotion, and he does not see a beautiful act. He sees a wasted opportunity. This ointment was incredibly valuable. Uh, denarius was a day's labor wage. So one denarius, one day's salary. Mary just poured out a year's worth of salary on Jesus' body. John tells us that Judas is a thief. He doesn't care about the poor. He is a hypocrite, and he makes himself look more righteous to be able to get people to do what he wants. That's what hypocrites do. They appear to be something they're not, so they can get something from somebody else. Judas gives off the appearance of righteousness, selling the ointment for the purpose of giving to the poor, in order to take the money for himself. He doesn't want the ointment to go onto Jesus' feet. He doesn't want it to go to the poor. He wants the ointment to go into his pocket and to make him rich. Why doesn't Judas see what Mary sees? Why doesn't Judas, who has walked with Jesus, he's seen Jesus do amazing things, why doesn't he see what Mary sees? It's because he was blinded by his love of money. Love of money is a threat to faith. The Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Timothy 6, puts it like this. He says, Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Money is not the root of all kinds of evils. Mary is taking 300 days worth of salary. It's a lot of money. Most of us have never even held that in our hand, in our possession, to be able to give. She's taking a year's worth of salary in order to spend it on Jesus. Money's not the issue. Love of money is the issue. And that's what Judas is blinded by. He's blinded by his love of money. A drug addict will do whatever it takes in order to pursue another high. If you've watched movies or if you've walked along some, alongside someone who's addicted to drugs, then you can see you, you can't trust them with things that you would normally think you could trust a person with. They'll let their relationships go to ruin. They'll let their house get destroyed, become trashed. They'll, they'll, they'll let their bodies waste away because they love what drugs can do for them. They will use every Durham that you give them in pursuit of what they love, which is another high, another hit, another bit of drugs. Redeemer, money is the drug of the UAE. Many people in this city, some people in our church, will do whatever it takes in order to get more of it. They will lie to their bosses. They will break the law. They will lie about their relationship with Jesus even. They will lose their families. They will move to places that are spiritually dangerous. Why? Because of money. Because they want it. 
They throw away that which is valuable for eternity, for that which will only last for maybe 80 years. How much time do you spend thinking about money? How much time do you spend wanting to get more money? How much time do you spend worrying because you don't have enough money? Judas will betray the one who is the resurrection and the life for 30 pieces of silver. And you, some of you may be tempted to do the same. You'll trade out Jesus or you'll trade out Jesus' commands because you want more money. And if that's the case, then your love of money has blinded you from seeing the worth of Jesus for who he truly is. It's kept you from being able to recognize the treasure that having Christ is. Love of money is a threat to faith in Jesus. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you try to pursue money at all costs, then you will pierce yourselves with many pangs. And you will miss that which leads to life itself. But love of money isn't the only threat to faith in this passage. This passage continues a theme that we've seen in the Gospel of John already. Love for power and love for the praise of man. So jump down in your Bibles to verse 9. Verse 9, this is John's going back to the Jews. We saw them last week making a plan to put Jesus to death. John goes back and he says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Here you see how love of power, like love of money, spreads and corrupts as it goes. The Jews are willing to do whatever it takes to kill Jesus so that they can maintain their power and their place. Now, even conceding their worldview that Jesus is a false teacher who has blasphemed and deserves death, that's not true, but let's grant that that is the way that they're truly thinking about Jesus. The only thing that Lazarus has done wrong is live. Here you see how a desire for power corrupts the Jews so that they are willing to break their own law and kill two innocent people in order to maintain their power. Lazarus shows them what they don't want to believe, and that is that Jesus is really who he says he is. And rather than repent and turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, they seek to kill Lazarus too, so they can hold on to the power and the status that they have. Church, love of money, love of power, love of praise, it will keep you from seeing all that Jesus is. If you care mostly about what other people think about you, if you care mostly about your status in your family or your status at your work, if you care mostly about the figure in your bank account, how much money you have or the house that you've built, then you will miss Jesus. All you'll see in Mary's act is wasted ointment. You will use Jesus to get more money, like Judas did. And you will miss out on the beauty and glory and worth of Jesus. And this leads to our final element that we see in our passage. What this passage is all about, and that is the worth of Jesus. 
Judas utters deceitful words to cover his true intent. But you can imagine some of the disciples who've walked alongside Jesus, who have seen Jesus touch sick people who are unclean, who have seen Jesus heal beggars who are blind and who are lame, who've heard Jesus teach on generosity and money. You can imagine some of those disciples hearing what Judas said and think, no, Judas has a point. Right? There's a lot of needs in our city. Right? We, we should care for the poor, right? We, maybe we should sell this and give it to the poor. Now, Jesus cares about the poor. But Jesus goes out of his way to show that what Mary did was absolutely the right thing to do with a large sum of money. Look at verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus said so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He's referring to what she's doing right now. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Mary's lavish use of the ointment was appropriate because of who it was for and because of what it symbolized. In my final few weeks of my freshman year of college, I was 19 years old, I did what none of you should do, and I decided, I looked at my bank account, and I said, I only have a couple more weeks left, I'll probably get a job in the summer. I'm going to take almost every last penny that I have in my bank account, and I'm going to buy my dream guitar that I wanted. Now, I was a realistic, right, and I didn't have a lot of money in my bank account, so my dream guitar was not what probably most people's dream guitar. I loved looking at guitar magazines as a teenager. Kids, a magazine is a piece of paper. It's like a book. It's, imagine like a website in paper form, right? You'd have to actually call in and send checks to be able to have them ship stuff. That's what a magazine is. So I loved looking at magazines. I actually loved looking at magazines more than I loved actually playing guitar. I'm not a good guitarist, and I wasn't a good guitarist. But so as the year is ending, and as I'm like, hey, I've made it through, right? I'll get a job in the summer. I'm going to empty my bank account, and I'm going to buy my dream guitar, an Epiphone Dot semi-hollow guitar, right? two humbucker pickups, had its own case with the Epiphone logo on it that looked really, really cool. It was maple. That thing was sweet. I was looking it up, actually, just today, trying to remind myself what it was. They don't make it anymore. And even as I saw it, I was like, ooh, that thing was cool. I don't have that guitar anymore. In fact, I didn't have that guitar for very long. That guitar brought me happiness. I would take it out of the case sometimes just to look at it. But less than two years after getting that guitar, I gladly got rid of that guitar. Why? Because I used the money that I got from that guitar, as well as a lot of other money that I had to save up, in order to buy an engagement ring for my wife. Now you could look and you could say, what a waste! This thing has very little utility. Right? You just put it on your finger and it sits there. I could have led worship with that guitar. I could have praised Jesus with that guitar. Or I could have been a rock star, made a lot of money, used that guitar for it, and given that money away. And if you would say that, then you would miss out completely why. 
Because that guitar meant nothing to me compared to the person who I married, Laura. The money that I spent on a ring symbolized not the worth of a wedding ring. It symbolized the worth of Laura. There you go, babe. It symbolized the worth of Laura to me. And I would spend that money over and over and over again because she is precious to me. Mary may not have fully known what she was symbolizing when she was anointing Jesus with this perfume, but she knew who Jesus was. And she recognized Jesus' worth. And she said, I don't care how much money this perfume could bring me. I don't care how much comfort this could bring me. I don't care how much status this perfume can bring me. I am laying it before Jesus because Jesus brings me more. Jesus is the one who is valuable. Jesus is the one who is precious to me. She was anointing the Christ, the King of Israel. She was devoting herself to the Son whom the Father sent into the world. And 300 days worth of salary was but a small gift to give to Jesus. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Mary knew that. And so she willingly and generously and lavishly gave up of a huge sum of money out of her love for Jesus. And Jesus instills Mary's act of devotion with meaning. Like Caiaphas, last chapter we saw, who spoke more meaningfully than he knew, Mary's act carries more meaning with it than she realizes Jesus says that she is anointing him for his burial. The oil that is spilling onto Jesus' body and running down his feet and being wiped up with Mary's hair is burial oil. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, is being prepared by Mary for death. In a few days, Jesus is going to die. He's going to be betrayed by Judas He's going to be abandoned by his closest followers and friends. He's going to be beaten, mocked, and shamed. And this is God's plan for him. In Isaiah 53, in the Old Testament, we're reminded that it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. That God is the one who puts him to grief. And through it all, through the painful, excruciating, shameful death... The worth of Jesus is magnified and shown clearly. How? Because only Jesus was able to do what Jesus does. Mary could have given all 300 days worth of salary. Mary could have given 3 million days worth of salary. And she could not pay for a single sin. The wages of sin is death. And if Mary were to go to the cross and die for sins, she would but die for her own sin. Jesus dies once and washes away the sins of the world. Because Jesus' life is that precious and that valuable. He is so pure that his death washes away the sins of those who trust in him and makes them clean. 
He possesses so much wealth that by his poverty many become rich. He is so perfect in his obedience that his righteousness can be given to the worst of sinners and they stand righteous before God. He is so loving that he dies for his enemies. Only Jesus could do this. His death and the effect that it produces reveals what makes Jesus so special. He is unlike anyone else. He is perfect. He is pure. That nard, that pure ointment that Mary poured out was filthy compared to Christ. In his, poverty, in his purity, he is perfect. And the saints in heaven recognize this. In Revelation 5, we read about how they're praising Jesus. And they say, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and nation. It is through Jesus' death that people are saved. And they say, what? Worthy. This says not something about the people Jesus ransomed. It doesn't say how valuable we are. It says how valuable he is. Worthy are you, Jesus. There's no one like you. There's no one as good, as great, as precious, as loving as you. His death reveals his worth. Do you know what you should do in light of Jesus' worth? Do you know what our text wants you to do in light of Jesus' worth? It wants you to trust him. It wants you to trust him. The way in which we show the worth of Jesus is by entrusting all that we are and all that we have to him. Trust that all the promises of God find their yes in him. Trust that he is more valuable than anything that you have in your life. Trust that he alone can bear the burdens of your sins. He alone can bear the trials that you're going through. Stop trusting in money or in power as your refuge and trust in Jesus. He is our refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble. Trusting Jesus will transform the way that you live your life. Let's come back to Jesus' words about the poor here. So Jesus is not against helping the poor. But Jesus knows that the only way in which the poor are going to be truly helped is through his death. Because it's the only way that you're going to be motivated to help the poor and the only way the poor are going to be cared for forever. As Christians, we care about all suffering. Temporary and especially eternal suffering. And Jesus' death means that we can give the poor that which they truly need as we meet their temporary needs as well. And Jesus' death and seeing the worth of Jesus through his death will keep you loving people who, let's be honest, can be difficult to love. People who are needy can be hard to walk alongside. People who demand your time and your resources and your energy can be hard to walk alongside. And if the thing that you're trying to keep in front of you is how valuable they are, then you're not going to be able to do it. Because they're sinful and you're sinful. But if the thing that you keep in front of you as you walk alongside needy people is how valuable Jesus is then you will pour yourself out for the sake of the lost. You will pour yourself out for the sake of the poor. You will willingly walk alongside, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it. Because like Mary, you are giving all that you have to Christ.
Church, the worthiest person in human history died so that we can trust him. And that we can trust him not just for forgiveness of sins, but for everything that we need. This is the logic of Romans 8. God, who did not spare his own son, but freely gave Jesus up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things could stack up and they wouldn't compare to Christ. And if God has given us Jesus, then we can trust Jesus for all things. If God has given the infinite worth of his son in order to die to bring us to him, then church, we can run to him and be safe. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that in your worth, you bring us to God. You alone could do this. You alone are worthy of our praise. We thank you that Mary saw that. And God, would you keep us from being blinded like Judas from this world? Help us to trust you and to treasure you with all that we have. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.